This episode is proudly sponsored by The Helix, a new innovation district located in New Brunswick, New Jersey, the heart of the Northeast Corridor. The Helix provides a critical ecosystem for innovation by offering a range of physical environments, a vibrant community of leading innovators, and a strategic central location on the Northeast Corridor. The Helix will uniquely mix workspaces, classrooms, laboratories, venues, and collaborative environments creating a dynamic community and setting for innovative minds. Universities, startups, Fortune 500 companies, entrepreneurs, researchers, and many others will all call the Helix home. Thus far, the Helix has assembled a community of innovative private and public organizations, such as Rutgers Health, the New Jersey Innovation Hub, RWJ Barnabas Health, Hackensack Meridian Health, universities from Ireland and Israel, and others. The Helix is where ideas will come to life. To learn more, visit helixnj.com. From NJ.com and the Star Ledger, welcome to the Rutgers Rant, your one-stop podcast for the Scarlet Knights, with your hosts, Steve Politi and Rutgers insiders, Brian Fonseca and Pat Lenny. Let's start shopping. All righty. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the rant. Uh, this is not an episode I thought we'd be recording two weeks ago, but here we are. Three straight losses. Uh, the first two, really not much of a concern. You lose on the road to Indiana, no big deal. You lose on the road to Illinois, disappointing, but certainly in the grand scheme of things, no big deal. You lose at home by 10 points to Nebraska, and the uh, the sirens go off. The panic button has been smashed. Awful defensive effort. Crowd leaving early. Caleb McConnell talking about complacency. I mean, Fonseca, you were there. Just give me a sense of what what level of on a scale of one to ten we should be here on the panic meter with with what happened last night. As always, I'm the rational, optimistic, big picture kind of guy. I would never say Rutgers is doomed before they're doomed. I think they're still going to make the tournament. I really do. I think if they don't make the tournament at this point, injury or not, it would be a collapse of epic proportions. I mean, they're going to have to lose to Minnesota on the road or lose four of the last five games, which I know people think they might win a game of basketball ever again after last night. I don't think they're doomed, right? I think they'll straighten it out. There's enough talent on this team. Pike has shown he can overcome worse situations in the past. They've done this every year. But that being said, when you're favored by 14 points and you lose by 10, when you give up 82 points to the second least efficient offense in the Big Ten, when you make Kaisei Tominaga look like the actual Steph Curry, not Je- the Japanese Steph Curry, I mean, that's concerning. Like, the, and they were getting dominated all over the floor. It was a layup line. They shot 74% on twos. That's the Unbelievable. worst two-point defense they've had all century for Ken Palm. They couldn't stop him inside. Uh, granted, Nebraska was hitting some tough shots. C.J. Wiltshire, Plainfield native, just bombing shots like all over. You can't really do much about that, but it was everything else. Uh, you touched on this. I noticed it at the time. Uh, guys bickering with one another during the game. They look de- defeated. I-, I don't know how much of that is because of Moat Mag's injury. I certainly think the defensive issues are Moat Mag's injury. A, lo- a lot of it has to do, I think he plugged up a lot of holes on that team. And big picture on the losing streak, I agree with you that those two games last week are not concerning in and of themselves. But I do think the last two losses are concerning in the way they lost. You don't score for 10 straight minutes against anybody. I don't care if Illinois is the second best defense in the Big Ten. You don't score a point for 10 minutes. That's very concerning. And then when you can't get a stop against Nebraska to the point where your fans are leaving the building in droves with 326 left in the game because they have no hope of you coming back. 
I think it's fair to say that while full-blown panic is not quite reasonable yet, I think it's fair to say that things are wobbling very much right now. I just hated the I just hated the body language. You mentioned it, and it was just very apparent. And it was every trip down the floor for a while where they're just looking at each other. Paul Mulcahy, I mean, it was just one one slouch. Kayla McConnell, these guys are your leaders, and they just look defeated. And they were, I don't want to say pointing the fingers, but yeah, there's there's a lot of that going on, Pat. And I, I that to me, and I tweeted it just like it seemed like all right, th- this was a players only meeting kind of moment where you. I wonder if they're going to pull pull each other into that locker room and say, hey, look, this this wasn't us. This is not us, right? I mean, I, I just saw some things, non basketball things, I just didn't like. I mean, Brian's such an even keeled guy that. I'll sound the alarm. I'm smashing the button on <laughs> smashing panic it. mode. All right. On panic mode. Because you're right. They do need an all-team meeting, and they're out of sync. You saw them yelling at each other on the floor, which was a, a real first. They need a major adjustment some way, somehow. And that's that's where I'll leave it. Whether it's coaching, whether it's the players stepping up, or something I can't even think of. They need to just regroup. And it's time to smash the panic button hard. I think, you know, I think coaching and I, uh, Steve Peichel after the game says it's on me. And that's what the coach says every time a team loses. Uh, and I get that. But I think he's right. <laughs> he has not adjusted to Moat Mag's loss. I, you, you saw it late in this game, Brian. And tell me if I'm wrong, because I, I you know, it was Valentine's Day. And honestly, I did not think I had to babysit the Scarlet Knights last night. I saw Nebraska. I think, well, they'll win this game. But from what I watched, the, the, the full court press isn't working anymore. Or when it does work, it's clear it's taking a toll. This is a, this is a six-man team now. This team doesn't have the depth to play this way for long stretches of time. That, that layup line, the, the way the defense uh, wasn't helping, I just wonder if this team's tired. I mean, if, are we making too much of this? Because it really seems like he was playing in a certain way with Mawat Mag, who was one of the best defenders in the Big Ten, and now... You're still trying to do that. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure that's the right strategy. I, I, you bring an interesting point about them being tired. They're playing. The thing is, they're playing the same amount of starter minutes as usual. They, they had one of the lowest bench minute rates in the country. They, they, they played their bench twenty percent of minutes before this. They're playing them twenty percent of minutes now. It's just that the personnel they're playing versus having Audrey Hyatt coming off the bench as a sixth man. You have Derek Simpson, who's a freshman who hasn't played high level basketball. This at uh, this intensity for this long for uh, with this much responsibility, um, so I do think that takes a toll. I don't think they have any can do what Moat Mag did defensively in the press and in the half court. I mean, he made up for so many holes on, at the rim on the perimeter. And I asked Michael about the press because you're right; it looked like they did it more often than usual. I didn't have the numbers in front of me then. Michael said they're always a pressing team; they do it all the time, which they do. But here's the numbers: they averaged 10.4 possessions of pressing defense. Per game before last night, they their season high was 17 possessions in one game. They did it 29 times last wow. night on okay. 39% of their possessions. They had 15 presses in the first half, 14 presses in the second half. So it's not like they were pressing mostly when they're down. They pressed most of the game. And it is fair to wonder if guys are getting tired, if they can't rely on that anymore. And uh, But to Pico's point also, they were horrible in the half court as well. It was just a terrible defensive performance overall. Maybe that is to do with the press, maybe not. But he has to do adjustments. And the other coaching thing is that not just last night, it shows that they really lack depth in certain positions. I mean, they can't afford to have Cliff O'Mori off the floor because behind him, there's it's a huge drop-off. And not only does that 
hurt them when he's off the floor. It hurts them when he's on the floor because he's playing defense almost not to foul because he can't yeah. afford getting in foul trouble. So he's getting just layup lined. I mean, Derek Walker was five for five on layups in the first half it, it with zero resistance because I don't know. I mean, Cliff had five blocks, but that really overestimates how good he was defensively. I thought he had a pretty rough game. Um, there's so no that, question. That's another thing. Uh, is he playing a little timid because of that? So uh, there's a lot, a lot going. And because of that lack of depth, there's not a lot of options for him to fill these holes. So this is going to be one of Pytel's toughest coaching jobs yet. Just kind of figuring out these rotations and figuring out how to, how to fill his hole. The one name we didn't mention, Pat, Cam Spencer. I mean, this guy was big 10 player of the week just a few weeks ago. It feels like from afar. And this is like <laughs> the few YMCA games I've played. Like I, it feels like a, he was standing open a couple of times and they looked at him with the corner of their eye and like, well, we can't throw the ball there because he might shoot. I get it. That's an exaggeration, but it does feel like they've lost confidence in him. He's lost confidence in himself. He was on the bench for a stretch there when I yeah, they're, they're down 10 points. Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> great, great point. And it's to put some context on who gets the player of the week every week, Zach Eady or Trace Jackson Davis every single week. So for someone else to get it was amazing. Cam Spencer. You want to say it's just like a shooter getting cold and and some at some point he's just going to get hot again, but it's his contributions in the other parts of the game. And I think that was that was big down the stretch too. You saw him get that deflection when they kind of clawed back on that little right. run. But they they need him on the floor. And I think it's just not just as a shooter. It's it's for all his other contributions. But I, I can't say that the players have lost confidence in him. I think that's an overreaction. Uh, well, certainly they're with they're in a jam right now because it can't. Uh, Andre Hyatt played great, but he can't be taken. What did, what did he take? Eight, 17 shots, eighteen. I mean, eighteen. He was eight eighteen, 18 shots. Yeah. I mean, and I, every big not, one down the stretch too. Yeah, he was the only one who had the confidence to shoot. I, yeah, it's just there. There's a lot going on here. All right, let's break this down now. Next five games at Wisconsin, Michigan, at Penn State, at Minnesota, Northwestern. There's not a I don't want to say good team. There's certainly not a, a, a top-level Big Ten team on that list right now. Uh, Michigan, maybe. They're certainly talented. Wisconsin stinks. Penn State's very erratic. Minnesota's terrible. Northwestern, okay. Give them credit. They're having a good year, but it's at the rack. It's funny. You, you would look at that and you would say, before this game, you look at that and say, hey, no reason they can't win all those games. Now you look at it and you're like, all right, well, I mean, how do you, make, how do you size up this stretch and what – you know, what is what does this team have to do now of these like next five to make uh, to take away all the drama with the NCAA's game you have to have is Minnesota. You right. cannot lose to Minnesota. If you lose to Minnesota, that's like their first Q four loss. That is like forget forget panic button. That's that will be a disaster. So assuming they beat Minnesota, right? They would have to win at least two of the other four games. Three of the other four games would put them pretty safely in. I think you're underestimating Northwestern. They're they're pretty damn good. Like I think that's the hardest game left on the schedule. I think the Penn State harder game, than at Penn State. Yes. Well, yeah. playing play at Penn State is like playing at, at, in my backyard. There's going to be no atmosphere. <laughs> it's the same thing. I mean, they, I, I get it was Valentine's Day last night, but they're hosting Illinois in a game they have to have, and there's maybe two thousand people in the stands, right? right. Like the danger with Penn State is not the atmosphere. It's that Penn State bombs threes. They shoot forty percent of threes, and like they did last night with Illinois, they can just bury you from beyond the arc. Right. right. And and Rutgers has shown that when teams are hitting threes, like they hit them last night, uh yeah, cannot keep yeah. up. Right. That's the danger there. Northwestern's a better team. They're they're gonna finish in the top four at this point. They just beat Purdue at home at Super Bowl Sunday, a little sneaky. Yeah, no, that's true. Very uh, true. They, they guard the hell out of everybody, veteran guards. Anyway, I that's the toughest game. I think Saturday's game at Wisconsin is gonna 
set basketball back 100 years. It will be the worst game you will watch in your entire life. I, I'm just sick to my stomach thinking about covering that game. But if they could, if Rutgers could out Rutgers, Wisconsin, big step, adds another road game, um, and puts them back on track. They need to like just right. put the train back on the tracks. But more, more than the points of the win, as far as metrics, it's just not making it four games in a row. And then from there, you beat Minnesota. You win, you win one of the other three games. You're fine. Now, if they win one of the last four, and the one win is Minnesota, I, they're probably still in like by the skin of their teeth. But you're really playing with fire. Yeah. Well, then that's that's why that's why Wisconsin's important, Pat, because you have to you just have to get back on the right track. You have to you have to get the confidence back. You have to prove that this is. I mean, it can't. You don't want this thing to spiral. And that's that's what's at the risk now. Yeah. Absolutely. And and Michigan, the way Jet Howard can take over games could be tricky too. And I'm not going to put that one as like a yep. an easy win. Um, but isn't it crazy how last year? Rutgers schedule was absolutely brutal down the stretch with every one of those ranked teams and had to beat every single one of them. And now we get these final five games. It's like, (laughs) it's great point. It's uh, a really interesting parallel. Like we're just holding on by the skin of our teeth this year, as opposed to last year where it was like the greatest stretch of Rutgers athletics history. It's so true. The competition really does. It's a great, great point. Yeah. You can't, you can't just look at the competition. You have to look at how the team's playing and, and yeah, that's, that's, they had to win all those games to get in and they did. And now they have to just kind of scratch out a couple and we'll see if they will. All right, let's jump into the true or false. I only have a few topics here, but uh, it'll segue nicely into football as well here as we do this. So, all right, let's start with the schedule fellas, true or false Rutgers will win at least three of its final five regular season games and put all this panic nonsense to rest. Fun second, true or false? Are they going to do it? True, because if they don't, I don't know what we're going to be talking about here, but it's not going to be good. True. All right, Pat? True as well. Uh, all right, I'm going to go false. I just think that uh, I'm, I'm worried about this team. All right, so true it's true or false. Rutgers will win two or fewer of its final regular season games. You guys said true, true to the first one, so we know the answer there. I said, I said uh, so I'll go true here. True or false, we're going back to Dayton. This is what I'm panicking about. We're going back to John Glenn International Airport. Who? True Who? or false, Fonseca? You're going to go there and finally, finally get to see John Glenn's home. That beautiful red roof in, just calling my name. No, false. Okay. Thank you. Pat? Oh, I got to stick with the truth. I got to stick with the false here since false, I said yeah. they're going they're gonna to win. They're gonna I'm win. Super, let me make clear this. I'm not going back to Dayton. Well, the two of you go back to Dayton. That's for someone else to decide. Uh, I'm going to Tulsa, Oklahoma for the... Uh, <laughs> NCAA wrestling champion. Oh, it's good. You're not going to Dayton either. That's just fun. Second, can have the red roof in all to himself. Perfect. True or false? Isaiah Pacheco is the best news Rutgers football has had in a year. Fonseca, true or false? How important was that win? That was that game for Isaiah Pacheco in the whole run. Maybe even longer than a year. I'll say true. Okay, Pat. I'm going to say false because of the emergence of Sam Brown was like the life savior of this program. That's true. All right. I'm going to go false as well, because this is a good one here. True false. Pacheco's NFL success is another illustration of why Greg Shiano was right to fire Sean Cleason. True or false, Brian? Is that what the heck happened? Where was this guy? Where was this guy? He was in Piscataway. Remember that? True or false? False, because it's not Sean Gleason's fault. He had traffic cones for an offensive line. Oh, Okay. Who writes Pat. who writes these true or false? Whoever comes up with these are, is just a pure genius. I mean, this is this pure is genius. Yeah. Pure genius. I'll, I'll tell I'll tell the staff that you you appreciate it. True <laughs> or false? Answer the question. True. True. 
Sam Brown thing all over again. I will only say, and this is, I'm going to tell you the story with the Super Bowl. There's two things that came up, but I'm going to go true as well here. And finally, true or false? Yeah, pop was great, but you're most happy for Michael Burton winning his Super Bowl ring. True or false? Brian Fonseca, how do you feel about how you feel about Mike Burton getting the getting the ring? Great for Michael Burton. I'm still more happy for Isaiah Pacheco. So okay. false. Okay. For Pat? everything that Isaiah Pacheco has gone through winning the Super Bowl, you have to feel good for him. So okay, true. I just have a spot. I think a lot of guys who covered those teams have a soft spot for Michael Burton in their hearts. And it's amazing that guy, eight years in the NFL, gets a ring, playing a fullback position. And there was a moment in that game. And I didn't see it at the time because I was writing, but there was a moment where Andy Reid sent out some like 1988 formation where he had a fullback and a tailback in the backfield, hands off to Pacheco, gets 10 yards. Burton, it's a nice block on the play. It's great. That's like the Rutgers. They need to get that highlight and put it on all their social media accounts from now until uh, the September opener. All right, let's talk a little Super Bowl because it was really, and it's funny, there are two things that came up all the time about Pacheco that just made me laugh. And this is the media day. People kept on saying, the first one was, what, was he like this at Rutgers? Was he like this at Rutgers? Like, and like this, I mean, like, you know, dancing his way onto the stadium and, I mean, just like this ebullient personality. And I had to say, like, not really. I don't know if it was just that, you know, the the Rutgers grinder made sure that the personality, we will not have this personality in our program and grinded it out of him or what. But no, he mean, like, this is this is a different side of him that we didn't see a lot of, at least publicly, maybe behind the scenes. Uh, That was the first thing. And then the other thing was, like, how did they not use this guy properly? And I, I had to answer that question like a bunch of times. And it was like, mostly I'm saying, like, look, like what you say, Brian, they didn't have exactly the greatest offensive line in the world. And he did have a lot of big runs, you know, once he got into the, once he got free, he would break, he would break off a 50 yarder now and then. So those were the two interesting points. And I do think that he has a, won a bigger platform in the NFL, obviously Super Bowl biggest platform, probably for a football player. They, that just wasn't available at Rutgers. College football is more of a guarded sport personalities don't really shine so maybe that's just part of the part of the whole deal but i thought his story was pretty well documented here i thought sarge was the first one to really put it to light and i think people always knew i just think that now the biggest stage it's kind of amplified Pat, how much do you think they can use this i mean it just have they've had guys in the in the obviously in the super bowl before the mccordy's ray rice i mean there's a long list of them is this an important thing though for for uh, for it's huge. It's huge. And I think bigger than anything is that you finally did get to see that personality because that's what a recruit wants to see that like, hey, I can be this social media star. I can rack up the NIL dollars. So I think they can use it. I'm almost positive Rutgers will spin anything positive out of out of Pacheco. And didn't he say didn't he say to you that I'm bringing it back to Rutgers and we're going to have some kind of like celebration? at Rutgers? He's, yeah, he, he's certainly he's going to he's going to live off this. He's coming back to Jersey. Yeah, he was very excited about doing that. Yeah. So. So, yeah, maybe they'll do a Super Bowl tour a stadium signing at Rutgers, you know, bring their bring their again. Bring the Lombardi Trophy with him. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, and and that's uh, and it really and the, the important part was that he certainly carries that with him. I mean, there's no question. He carries Jersey. He carries Rutgers. He he doesn't hesitate to bring it up. Both those guys. I mean, Burton too. Talk a lot about their experiences in New Jersey. So it certainly can't uh, it can't hurt. Put it that Burton way. was a walk on at Rutgers as well. He was a walk on. Yeah, not for long. Yeah, I, think he got, I think he got the scholarship pretty quickly after that. Yeah, but yeah, he incredible. was a preferred walk on. Yeah. As I was um, going through the list of Super Bowl players. There were so many that were Gary Brackett, Sean O'Hara, Michael Burton, 
all these guys that go on to brilliant NFL yeah. careers were guys that couldn't even get a scholarship out of high school, which makes makes sense for why Rutgers was so good during those those years. It is amazing. Yeah. And Burton, just if you don't, if you don't know, familiar with this story, I mean, just a guy who's worked every step of the way. And he like, it's so hard to have a human conversation opening night, which is the, the media circus with all the clowns. And, and, and if you guys aren't familiar with Super Bowl, it's just a complete uh, cluster, you know what? Uh, but I, I found Burton on the floor there and just talked to him for about 20 minutes. And, you know, just, <laughs> just a guy who worked his way here. Like, there's no other way, there's no other way to put it. There's no like, there's no flashy, there's no explanation for this. It's not like he, you know, he came up with some unique formula to become, you know, a, a valuable NFL player, but he just kept on finding a different way, different roles. He's an important special teams player. I think he's a leader. I think they love him. I mean, you saw, and I, and I tried to paint this scene in, in my column, but like I'm standing there talking to the two of them and Patrick Mahomes barges into the locker room. Like, I mean, and just makes a beeline over there to where, Pacheco and where Burton are standing, and it's just like, like I love you. He yells at Pacheco, and then he climbs over. Like he's a guy who I don't know what, what level of drugs he needed to get through that second half to have one of the you know the, the, his Jordan flu game. The way he overcame all you know that ankle injury, but he climbs over two equipment bags to bear hug Michael Burton, who's just you know with this look on his face, like you know, holy crap! It was just a great moment, and the, the two of them obviously. Uh, to soak that up and have that is is also good for Rutgers as well. That's what I got from uh, that's what I got from Phoenix. All right, you guys want to take some insider questions? Can we do that? Let's do it. All right, it. we have a lot of. Let me just say the level of uh, panic in our Rutgers insider uh, uh, program is uh, is high, so it'll be reflected in the questions. A lot of Steve Peichel questions. This one I was not surprised to see, but is Steve Peichel too nice? It's great that he's the anti-Mike Rice, but the lack of working officials, lack of aggressiveness in the portal and willingness to show kids the door, overuse of the red shirt, goes on from there. Does Pike need to get in someone's face very publicly or call someone out in a post-game presser like Micah Shrewsbury? Mulcahy is a senior leader who can take it. Seems like a prime target with his hot temper and dirty play. Wow. Should Pike go Herb's Brook? Herb Brooks on this team. We're mixing sports metaphors. I love this question. Go ahead, Fonseca. You, you answer this one. Was Steve Peichel too nice when Rutgers beat the number one team in the country two years in a row? When Clearly, he the- should have rubbed them in their faces. I'm kidding. Go on. Was Steve Peichel too nice when all these when he landed the highest ranked recruit in program history? When he got the highest ranked signee in program history? I think people are grasping for straws and everything, everything to kind of uh, rationalize this. I do think Steve Peichel goes hard on his team in private in practice when no one can see. I do think some of that hunky dory exterior personality kind of melts away. He is probably saying uh, what a lot of you guys are thinking in practice behind closed doors, but he's never been a guy that's going to call out his team in public. That's just not who he is. I don't think that means he's not holding them accountable. And just because he's not. Experience the Heldridge Hotel, a luxury hotel that's perfect for both the business and leisure traveler. Ideally located within minutes of Rutgers University, the Heldridge is convenient to all the action and activities at SHI Stadium, Jersey Mike's Arena, and the Rutgers University campus. The moment you walk through the doors of the Heldridge Hotel and Conference Center, you know you're someplace different. A place with an independent spirit and a boutique vibe. A place where you can immerse yourself in your meeting or event as easily as you can the local culture. Located in the heart of the city, the Heldridge lets you experience all that New Brunswick has to offer. Whether you're coming to New Brunswick for a fun weekend with friends, in town for a Scarlet Nights game, or attending a business meeting, book your accommodations today at theheldridge.com. 
Tom Izzoing, the referees, practically grabbing their shirts, begging for calls, doesn't mean he's not whispering things in their ears, telling them they missed calls there, asking for charges here and there. Now, maybe he could have shown some guys the door that probably don't belong on this roster and maybe filled it in with some oral kids behind him. But I think he's made pretty clear that his philosophy of the program is uh, to keep guys there for a long time, build a culture, not to pick up guys off the portal just for talent because if they don't fit, et cetera. Uh, I think he has a certain way of coaching his philosophy of a program for good and for bad. I think to think the guy has to completely change his personality, be someone who he's not just because they lost one game to Nebraska. I think that's a bit, a uh, bit silly. Yeah, he is who he is. I mean, that he, you don't you want you don't want a guy to try to be. That's the first thing. That's how coaches fail all the time when they try to be someone they're not. So, don't. And it, he's not too nice. It's. I mean, this is if anything, that's his. That's the best part about him. <laughs> it's his niceness. All right, let's. Uh, a lot of questions about Paul Mulcahy as well. What's up with Paul? Is the general one. Um, his encore complaining seems to be really hurting him as a leader. And uh, now he, now he's showing others up. Then another question about the, the leaders is Paul putting too much pressure on himself. In some cases, his, his anger has gotten the best of the Rutgers team. All right, let's just talk about Paul in general. What, what are you seeing, Pat? I mean, is, is it, is it a case of him putting too much on his shoulders? I mean, the guy did have 12 assists. He's playing every minute of these games. What do you think? I think Rutgers is at its best when Paul Mulcahy is actually scoring and not dishing. Yeah. I think he's putting too much emphasis on the assists and trying to be too fancy with the ball. And that's just an outsider's observation right there. But from a leadership standpoint, I think everything you're seeing on the court is a part of his emotional game, which is why he is the leader that he is. He is emotional. He is fiery. And that that's what made him. That's what makes Paul Mulcahy, Paul Mulcahy. So, A, I want to see him get back. When Rutgers had that amazing stretch last season, it was Paul Mulcahy scoring. And when Paul Mulcahy isn't scoring these last three games, they're losing. So I, I think that is the biggest key. Stop dishing the ball as much and don't be afraid to back guards down in the paint and put it in the bucket. How many shots did he have in that game, Brian? Three. He had three shots. Oh, against, and then he had four shots against Indiana. Um, and listen, he, he's passing up open shots too. And he's a good shooter. He's shooting like 40% on threes. He just doesn't take enough of them. I totally agree with Pat. We saw it down the stretch against Michigan State at MSG. He took right, over, right. scored like nine of the last, whatever it was, or he scored 17 points in the second half, whatever the numbers were. He just took over. And for a team that doesn't have a bona fide scorer, especially not when Cam Spencer is in the slump that he is, they need somebody to just put the ball in the basket. And uh, as much as Steve Pio doesn't like it, when the ball's going in the basket, they play better defense and it kind of feeds off each other when you're not scoring, et cetera, right? The way that Caleb McConnell is the alpha dog on the defense, they need Paul Mulcahy to be the alpha on the offense. They need him to start taking shots. And uh, as for the emotional aspect of it, I, I agree with Pat. That's kind of who he is, for better or for worse. When things are going well, it goes well. He's admitted he's a bad loser. And uh, with the three-game losing streak, we saw at the – we talked about players kind of yelling at each other at the end of the game. Paul was probably the main culprit in that um, that's not what you want to see from your senior leader, but that's just kind of just kind of the way he is. I think that's why a lot of Big Ten fan bases don't like him, and I think it's why when Rutgers is good, Rutgers fans do like him. But when things aren't going well, it does tend to backfire on him. Sure, you love that intensity, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we're, I think we're getting another thing we're making too much out of uh, Paul Mulcahy. Off other than basketball, basketball stuff. Yes, you're absolutely right. He needs to score more, but to think he's doing something wrong, um, body language. It's just a, it was just a rough game at the end of that game. Uh, I think you can you can shrug that one off. All right, question about Derek Simpson. 
from Joe Hayes wants to know, is this time for Simpsons to get a lot of Paul Mulcahy's minutes or just get more minutes? I uh, looked, he had 19. So clearly he's the sixth man. I don't know. Is this a rotational thing where we're going to see more Derek Simpson, Brian? Derek Simpson is the sixth man. They're essentially running a six-man rotation and then throwing in seven and eight when it's like Dean Reber or Antoine Wolfolk having to fill in for Cliff or Jalen Miller if they really need defense like they did last night. Yeah, they're going to have to play a lot of Simpson and kind of let him play through his freshman uh, mistakes. I don't think benching him for uh, playing him for Paul Mulcahy is particularly smart because I don't think he's ready to be the starting point guard, the main ball handler on this team. I think we saw what happened when that happened against Temple. It would be kind of the reverse issue with Paul Mulcahy, who assists too much and doesn't score enough. I think Simpson would look to score a lot more and not really be able to facilitate the offense and help others around him. So I do think he has a role on this team. I think Rutgers really needs him to play well to be successful now that Mag is out. Uh, but I'm not sure he's this you know hidden gem on the bench that's going to completely revitalize the, the offense if they put him in for Paul Mulcahy. Right, this is an interesting one. Alex from Freehold asks, if you could protect five Rutgers basketball players from injury in order, with one being the most protection possible, what would your order be? Please include Mag in this discussion. All right. So he's trying to find out where we where we value Moat Mag, I'm guessing, and, and how big of his loss is. Uh, I think Cliff is number one, Pat. I mean, you disagree. What what give me give me your thoughts on on where this would be here? I almost think that the way that Caleb defends every single position might be number one. If you lose that, you're losing a big piece. But Cliff, I think they're one, two. I think they're one, okay. two. And then Mulcahy, three. All right, I would put Mulcahy, two. Brian Ward, and then I would put Cliff, uh, sorry, put Caleb, three, and and Mawat, four. I mean, am I wrong? Do you think Mawat's ahead of anybody? Cliff is number one, in my mind, without a doubt, just because there's no depth behind him. Yeah. Like they, they, the, the ceiling of the team would go significantly lower without him. I would put probably Mulcahy too, just because there's no other guy who can lead the offense the way he does on on the roster. I mean, who would be your main? No, point you're true. good point. Derek yep. Simpson, right? Uh, and then I think Caleb and Mawat are a very interesting uh, distinction. Uh, maybe this is just like recency bias because we know what happens when Mawat isn't there. I'd probably put Mawat third and then Caleb fourth. Yeah. Uh, Caleb isn't playing. He's still playing good defense. I don't know if he's at Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year level as he was last year. And then fifth, I'd probably put Cam. But I, I think I think those top three are really indispensable guys. That's fair. I just thought I just think Caleb, when you build a team around defense, and this is your guy that is the defender. That that's why he's so important. But I hear what you're saying about Cliff. That 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 uh, depth issue is a major, 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 major concern. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, and it it's it's amazing because even when he plays poorly, you're right. He has to have him out there. And I want and I wonder about Cliff. Like, is this changed? This is not a question, but it's a good question. Has this changed the uh, the thinking on 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 Cliff about another year of college basketball? Do you think what's happening this season, Brian? Any indication? I can't read Cliff's mind. I don't know yeah. if if this affects it for him personally because even if you have a bad year, you can still go to the NBA because you're done with college. You think you're old enough. You want pro coaching, etc. I do. I don't think his stock has risen at all. I think no. his he has he has not expanded his range as he had hoped. Uh, in fact, I think he might have even minimized his range. He can't hit anything outside of two feet away from the basket. He's struggling really hard to finish around the rim when it's not dunking. He's four of twenty one on threes this year, which is nineteen percent. He can't. He's he stopped shooting mid range jumpers at least. That's been that was an issue early in the season. He just stopped doing it. But the thing is, though, I don't know how much more he can develop with another year in college. Right? If if his goal is to make it to the pros. I think pro coaching is what going to take it's going to take him over the top because his athleticism is. I, I just think that going to the G League would be better for his pro career than staying another year at Rutgers. Now, if he wants to stay another year at Rutgers 
give it another hurrah, you know, go deep in the tournament. If he dreams of winning an NCAA championship or something like that, you know, or if he values his education, I don't think it's impossible that he comes back. I just think that if if he was dead set on leaving, entering the season, I'm not sure that even a bad year will reverse that thinking. He's not getting drafted. No, I don't think he'll get drafted unless it's like a late second round flyer. A team just falls in love with his athleticism because, I mean, he's a freaky athlete. Like, And they think, you know, I can make this guy, I can fix his mechanics. I can make him a 30% three-point shooter or whatever. Um, That's certainly possible. I don't think there's a chance at all that he's a first-round pick, even if it's like the bottom half of the first round. I think think he's pretty solidly, if he'll get picked, if it'd be right at the end of the draft. All right. Finally, we've got a bunch of recruiting questions. Every time a team goes in this tailspin, the recruiting panic starts. Uh, the biggest question is how this impacts recruiting, especially with Bailey and Harper. Would missing an NCAA tournament blow up recruiting? What's the latest status on Kurt Hang and Donnie Freeman? What else we got here? Looking through with the questions that just came in. You got any recruiting insight? I, mean, I, I don't think I don't. I think we put too much into one win or one loss when it comes to uh, what's on the minor recruits. Do you agree? I actually got a call from a source this morning that said, you know how Ace Bailey committed because they won at Ohio State? He actually just decommitted because they lost in Nebraska, and he's going to keep committing and decommitting depending on how they do through the end of the season. Uh, no, be, I, no. Be clear you're making that up because there's going to be someone like on the message board, it was a source. It was a source. He's like the source. It must be true. Didn't you make fun of me for saying that no one aggregates? Our podcast when I mentioned that earlier in the year. It would be the one time that someone aggregates something from our podcast. It would be a joke that fell flat. I am joking. Ace Bailey has not decommitted because they lost to Nebraska. Everybody, relax. And and, and, and if it makes you feel better, Dylan Harper was playing while Rutgers played last night, so I don't think he even saw the game. So if you were worried that he is not even considering Rutgers anymore because they lost to Nebraska, I think everyone's fine there. Everyone take a breath, all right? I think you're right. Recruiting is not dependent on one game at a time. No kid is going to commit or decommit. I mean, Gavin Griffiths was at the Lafayette game last year, and we saw what happened there, right? A couple of other names. Kurt Tang, he's going to uh, reportedly take a visit, an official visit to Rutgers next week for the Michigan game. Uh, He is a guy they offered last year, a four-star guard. I think he'd fit really well on this team. I do. He's a Michigan State lean per the industry. He's been for a while. I think this is more of him taking visits to be sure he wants to go to Michigan State rather than kind of testing his options. But you never know, right? Uh, you never know with recruiting. Yep. Donnie Freeman, he's not coming to Rutgers. He had Rutgers in his top five in January uh, shortly after he visited, but then he opened his recruitment back up, which means that because if he wanted to go to one of those five schools, he would just go there, right? He wouldn't open up his recruitment. Uh, I right. think he's going elsewhere. Uh, that's where we're at now. I think uh, Dylan Harper, uh, I don't think we've talked about this since last time we recorded. He uh, dropped his top five. He has Rutgers in it, obviously. And he told 247 that he's going to commit at some time in the summer. So that will be a while. Rutgers is still in it for him. I still think they have a good chance. Uh, whether they get him or not, who knows? But to be in that race, obviously, is important. Okay. Uh, that's that's all I got on recruiting. Good stuff. All right. Uh, and this is the final question. It's, 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 it's a hilarious one. Please discuss spoiler gate and whose fault it was. This is definitely a Rutgers insider question. So we had, we had a nice, a very nice request from one of our uh, tech subscribers that we stopped that, excuse me, wait, that Brian stopped putting the score in his updates because this poor guy has kids. And I, I relate to this. You tape the game and you don't want your phone to beep and see, oh crap, you know what happened. So we're, so is that right? Is that what happened with the spoiler things? That's exactly what happened. And he asked a couple times. I felt bad the second time. Uh, yeah. So I tried it out last night and the response was, don't ever do that again. Uh, yeah. I got a couple of thank yous 
And then I got mm-hmm. a couple of, this is terrible. Please don't ever do this again. Have you thought but, about put, just putting the score at the bottom of it? Have you thought about doing that instead of putting spoiler, just putting we're here at half, blah, 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 blah. And then putting the score. I, I could, I, I guess the, the alternative is what people said. Just tell the guy to mute the conversation. I don't know. Now, is this the most boring thing we've ever discussed in the yeah, podcast? Is, this is, I mean, really, what, and what and are also, talking if you put about the score here? at the bottom? It goes against every rule of journalism. So you can't do it. Can't right. do it. Score yeah. goes at the top. This, this okay. has got to be it. This is going to be one. Yeah. This is truly the most boring topic we've ever tackled here in the, in podcast history. I, and believe I, me, there've been some saw, boring topics. I heard spoiler gate. I was, yeah. I was thinking this was going to be juicy. You thought it was going to be some I better than this? I thought this was going to be juicy. Yeah. Instead, like, it's about our texting service. Yeah. Uh-huh. Brian has a really juicy story to tell. Well, Brian does have a juicy story yeah. to tell, he said. Well, this is, so I, we're done with so the questions. We could turn this. We could turn this right. around real quick. So I have, I put, so I, as I'm making the script and, and Brian says, well, I got a funny story. Make sure you bring up the funny story. Pat knows about the funny story. You haven't heard the funny story since you were at the Super Bowl. So this better, let me tell you, this better be a funny story. Well, you just made it out like I'm Dave Chappelle going to tell. I want, I want at least, I mean, Jim Gaffigan <laughs> level comedy here. I want something. All right, I'll go right. for Bill Burr. Um, Bill so Burr. we're at Madison Square Garden mm-hmm. and they didn't give us a meal, a medium meal like they usually do. They gave us a voucher. So you go to the stands and you get your own meal or whatever. So it's before the game. I'm feeling a little hungry. The stands are opening up. I go there. I look at my options. I see a hot dog. I want a hot dog. I see a bag of M&Ms for dessert. I get a bag of M&Ms and I get a nice big cup of soda okay so i'm walking back uh you have to walk through the concourse back to your seat so i'm walking yeah. back to the seat and i see a familiar face waiting for me at the stairs i'm like oh my god greg it's greg shiano just wow. the stairs. Okay. Like, oh, Greg, how you doing naturally i instinctively reach out to shake his hand <laughs> with the soda and the hot dog and as i do it my hot dog flips over the box that i have a hot dog it flips over bangs on the floor splits in half like <laughs> like lizzie is all over the floor and greg shiano's just watching this happen he goes, oh no. And uh, I'm I'm frazzled. I'm this is the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to me. So I pick up the hot dog and I throw it out, obviously. And then I hear Greg Shannon go, What are you doing? What are you doing? I'm like, Greg, what do you mean? What am I doing? I just dropped a hot dog on the floor. He's like, he said something, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he said something like, You kiss the hot dog and you pray to God that you don't get sick and you eat the thing. And I said, Well, wow. it's a little late now. It's in the um, it's in the garbage. Uh, yeah. but the moral of the story here is that Greg Shiano believes in the five second rule. So, he does. Yes. Yes. Um, so you just dropped, I mean, talk about that's just, you, you can, you, people, Shiano's telling that story to people too, you know, like, he's just. <laughs> I mean, the, the whole time as I'm picking up hot dogs, there's fans walking by coach, how you doing? Chop, chop coach. Yeah. I love you coach. And I'm just there on my knees, picking up uh, a yeah. broken half hot dog starting out have, my mind. Did you I have condiments on the hot dog? No, but I had uh, some mustard. I had mustard packets. Just my wife was watering, thinking about putting the mustard on the yeah. on the hot dog, and uh, and uh, yeah, it was. And then I told Greg to say face that I was going to go buy another hot dog, and then I the line was too long, so I didn't. Um, so you didn't you didn't get your hot dog. That's really the sad part about the story. It'd be funny if you just if Greg. I was hoping Greg would have walked you back, like I would have done for my six year old son after you dropped an ice cream cone. Like, don't worry, pal, we'll go back and get. Now he didn't even take you to get the next hot dog. Well, his wife had, he was waiting for his wife. She had just come out and okay. uh, she, at that point, they kind of had to go to their seats. Um, so, uh, you know, that would have been funny, but I think I was humiliated enough. I don't think waiting in line for another hot dog with Greg Shiano would. Uh, okay, great. <laughs> did, did, you, so you didn't eat? You'd hear, I, tell me I ate M&M's. That's all you had? That's all I had. Yes. Well, I mean, I, I, I was, I was no longer hungry because I was just full of shame. I, I Full of shame. It was, it was. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he's told people that story. Or maybe he hasn't, which might be even more embarrassing. So He might have been saying it's true. But Greg, Greg Shannon's a good man. He might have just been like, you know what? I'm going to keep this between me, Brian Fonseca, and the Madden, Madison Square Garden floor. But man, that's, that, that is the worst thing that's ever happened at the Garden. That is sad. Man. Ooh, good story, though. Let's move on because I'm, I'm really I'm I'm just I'm I'm sad about that. Uh, what else we got? Wrestling team. Wrestling team got their got smoked by a good team, Penn State. I saw. Yes, yes, got smoked we, by two good teams, Penn State and Nebraska, two mm. top ten teams to close out the season. So they finished ten and seven overall. Okay, two and six in the Big Ten. All right, their two Big Ten wins were against Michigan State and Maryland. Now they'll have three weeks off until the Big Ten tournament. Okay, and we we everyone's calmed down about that. Last podcast, there were we were we were pretty fire or there's, or I did get there's great. a I did big get... faction. There's a big faction of people that are saying that uh, the team is just regressing under Goodell. He's not the right guy. And then there's really? another faction that is like everyone needs to relax. We finished the season number twenty three. Uh, you know, we'll yeah. have a couple guys at the NCAA tournament. Uh, let's just relax. So I'm, I'm more on that side of it all. I, right. I think they've got room to grow They're, They could, they could bring back every single wrestler for that. That started this year. If they wanted to, if they want to come back, everyone has eligibility. Okay. Well, that's a good sign. Women's basketball, anything there that got, I saw there was a score like 60 to 12 against Iowa or something. That was a little, uh, looks like they're playing the good teams in, in the big tens. That was happening. They were on pace to concede the most points in a Big Ten game ever. Um, really? Against Iowa. I think the record is 119. I think they ended up only giving up 117. Uh, so there we go. The you know the ladies right. kept it from uh, from being a historic embarrassment. Um, but, you know, the Big Ten has, I think, three or four top 15 teams. Sometimes you just run into a buzzsaw, right? Uh, no shame in that. They still have more wins than I think anyone expected. Another women's sport, women's lacrosse, uh, off to a 1-0 start. Uh, they came back and defeated Jacksonville. For another ranked win under Melissa Lemon, so the ladies keep rolling, and uh, men's lacrosse is two and zero. Is Rutgers a lacrosse school? That might be our next conversation for the next pod. You said no shame in that, and certainly you are one person who understands shame. Going back to the hot dog story, hot dog. Oh, and also the uh, I don't know if we talked about this yet. Hot dog either. gate. <laughs> I like hot dog gate. I like Glizzy gate. We didn't talk about the Geo Baker thing, which is also very embarrassing. My workout with Geo Baker. Oh, that's right. Yes, tell us about that day. That was yeah. It was fun. It was really fun. Geo was a great sport about it. Michael was a great sport about it. When I asked him, he laughed. He laughed out loud. Uh, but when I told him beforehand I was going. It was good. If you're not aware, what just tell tell us what you did. People might not have read the story. You, Geo Baker, Rutgers legend. He does uh, individual coaching now. He does like uh, drill work with kids, local kids who try to, you know, want to be like him. And uh, so I decided to sign up and take a class. And I realized I am there. It was me and about ten other eleven to twelve year olds, and I was probably the second worst player there. And the worst player was probably six years old. So it was very tough. I My jump shot was off. It didn't make the video because no one was recording. But I crossed myself over so hard that I like skid across the floor at one point. And Gio was the only other person that saw it. Um, but he was great. It was a good time. I've been working on my lefty dribble a lot recently. And I can happily report that it is not completely embarrassing anymore. Did you at least put your like elbow in the in the sternum of some some unsuspecting ten year old from Edison? Did you at least knock a kid down or something? No, there was a kid that challenged me to go one on one, and I said, "No, man, I'm too big for you. That's I, that's not cool." But the real reason was because I knew he would absolutely cook me like Thanksgiving turkey. Of, <laughs> the theme of this podcast is a lot of shame today. That's all I can say. 
Maybe we should end on that note. Got anything else, Pat, to sign us off with? Shame, 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 shame on us. Shame on everybody. We'll be back next week, hopefully, to talk about a better week for Rutgers basketball. If not, I can only imagine where the panic button will be depressed. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Devco. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Rutgers Rant. To participate in the conversation and receive live updates about the Scarlet Knights directly to your phone, sign up at nj.com slash insider.